It's thinking today on. Alrighty, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Press B to Cancel. You'll notice the uh, the ranks are a little emptier today than usual. Everybody else was busy. It's Father's Day weekend. People are on trips out of town, so it's just us. Hello. <laughs> so I'm joined by the incomparable Cinestar seventy seven. Wow, incomparable! Wow. Well, thank you for that. Um, and then and I, I am your yeah. host, Werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it, on the little on the little start screen it selected you as the host so there you go yeah, there we go then yeah. uh today we're going to be talking about the uh the dreamcast and boy oh boy is that thing a roller coaster ride of information and and games and everything else wow indeed um so I guess we should maybe dive in with a little history of the Dreamcast, like a little bit of the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Dreamcast, it was honestly, it was fast tracked is probably the best term for it. After the uh, the you know the massive success of the Sega Saturn, Sega was like they. I mean, they knew that they knew it was already on the on the on the wall. The, they saw the writing on the wall before the Saturn even released, and they started right. development on the Dreamcast before the Saturn was even released. That's a pretty esoteric way to say it because they were like multi, uh, employing multiple R&D paths to try and develop the next console to supersede the Saturn. Right. Um, wasn't there, wasn't like Sega Japan and Sega US working on two entirely different paths, if I remember right? Mm, that was even before the Saturn, honestly. Okay. Because I know that they, I know that Sega USA was in talks with 3DFX. And in fact, I think 3DFX took. Uh, that in, was actually Sega. Sega Japan was doing that. Was um, it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they were in talks and actually bought something like 16% of 3DFX yeah. to sort of signal the intent with the deal and everything. But they ended up going with NEC because 3DFX was North America. And I mean, part of it was probably they were getting a cheaper deal with NEC. It was probably right. cheaper costs to get the chips to where they needed to because it was a neighbor instead of across the ocean. So there were a bunch of contributing factors. 3DFX tried to sue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a whole mess. E- EA backed out and everything because of the swap. Like it was a huge, huge problem for Sega. But uh, ultimately, sort of both R and D paths sort of merged a little bit and kind of became one uniform thing. Sega was actually in talks with Microsoft for Windows CE very early on and they were actually developing it uh starting in 1996 the version of the dreamcast operating system right they leaned into wanting to get a windows operating system for the ease of development after all the complaints of the saturn's development so <laughs> they, they went hardly in the other direction right yeah. which the fact that it's windows based might explain why so many dreamcast games have been made available at least on pc if not other platforms sure you talk about the the um, the development, you know, ease of development after the after the Saturn, and one of the things I I learned when I was going through kind of the history was 
some of the bad blood from the Saturn involved them jumping up the timeline on the Saturn mm-hmm. before the before the and so from what I understand, EA Sports basically said we're not going to release anything for the Dreamcast because you you basically screwed us on the on the Saturn with the with the development timeline and cycle. So yeah, um, the Saturn ended up releasing in North America six months ahead of when it was supposed to. And I think it was only a few months after the 32X had been released for the Genesis. So, like, not only did Sega blindside, uh, you know, consumers and developers with the release of the Saturn so early outside of Japan, they blindsided Sega of America with such an early release. Like, it was bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And And so... Coming off of the developer, I mean, here's the thing is, is I learned that there was like basically like no confidence in, in Sega at all after the CD, the 32X and then the Jaguar. And so, you know, when we finally get to the Dreamcast, there was a lot of, of history. Well, the Jaguar wasn't Sega. That's a I'm sorry. I meant the Saturn. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, um, the boxes look similar. And so I always... Yeah. The, yeah, I didn't realize that. To be fair, Kalinsky, the CEO of Sega America at the time of the Genesis and Sega CD, he did an amazing job with the hand he was dealt. He really did. He made Sega start eating up Nintendo's market share, right? Mm-hmm. And then Sega had Sega Japan started to strong arm his decisions being like, "No, we're we're not listening to you anymore." even though he had been screaming success at them the whole time. And they released the 32X, which he already thought was not a great idea with new hardware on the horizon. And then they fast-tracked the release of the Saturn so quickly after the 32X, he called it that consumers were going to feel betrayed and not have the money to get the the Saturn. Like It was Mm -hmm. a two-pronged attack from Sega Japan against themselves. And when he was right, he was like, I'm sorry, I'm out. You guys promised me I would have control over the North American arm of this, and you've taken that away from me, I'm out. That's why he left. Mm-hmm. So, then you end up getting Bernie Stoller in charge, and to be fair, he also kind of did the best he could with Sega of America. <laughs> right. Uh, but he was not quite as... He was not as forward thinking as Tom Kalinsky, I would say. Mm. Instead, he was more of what you get from a traditional CEO. Make cuts, make money. That was his right. method, right? And, you know, to the degree that Sega of America could, it can't really say it's a bad thing because they were hemorrhaging money, Sega in general. So with the release of the Dreamcast, I mean, it was ahead of everybody. It's the sixth generation console, right? Sure. The first sixth generation console. Yep. So they beat everybody to market. So much so, they came out, uh, I want to say, over a year before PS2. In Japan, I think so. It might have only and been... And North America. It and wasn't? North America. Okay. okay. We were still getting majorly staggered console releases at the time for everything. So it was still that way then. Um, so the Dreamcast originally released in late 1998 in Japan and late 99 in North America and right. And honestly the rest, you know, Europe too, everywhere outside of Japan. Right. 
Um, and then PlayStation 2 released a year later in the West. So I don't know their specific timeline in uh, everywhere else, but in the mm-hmm. West, I think it was a year later. And honestly, I knew a bunch of people. I was like, dude, you guys, you guys got to get Dreamcast. You got to get Dreamcast. And they were like, I'm waiting for PS2. And I want to talk a little bit about that because Sony, Sony really kind of did Sega dirty. Um, because, you know, we, we'd come out of the world of eight bit to 16 bit to 32 bit. Right. And now, and, and, and for some reason it's stuck in everybody's brain that bits equaled quality. Right. Yeah. And so Sega or it's not Sega, Sony, announced the the ps2 as 128 bit we don't have 128 bit processors today we don't (laughs) like if you look at what they're talking about it is it is it is doing sega dirty because it is it is still a 32-bit processor it just happens to have four lanes for for you know doing certain calculations right oh so Um, it's a multi-threaded processor for certain calculations for certain, oh my goodness! So it's basically blast processing. Oh yes, yes. And so <laughs> Sony, Sony, the what do they call it? The Emotion Engine or whatever it was that came yeah. out in the PS2. Yeah, they did. They did the entire marketplace dirty by saying that this is a 128 bit processor. Like it's not. Wow. Yeah, and so um, I mean, as I said, look at today. We're we're on 64 bits because honestly we haven't seen a need for more at the moment. Right. I mean, things are running plenty, plenty fast today at 64 bits. Right. And so, yeah. and so, yeah, it was, um, now that said, uh, I think their graphics processor did run substantial. I think it had, um, you know, more vertices by an order of maybe an order of magnitude than the dreamcast that at least was, was there, but otherwise they really did do the dreamcast dirty. Um, by basically coming in and saying, whoa, everybody's talking 32 or 64 bit. We're now 128. <laughs> they pulled an Ajari, Atari Jaguar on us. Yeah, basically. 32 plus 32 is 64. Do the math. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You can just run four lanes if you want. But if you actually look at their, if you look at their, uh, their, their implementation of the risk, the risk, uh, um, uh, uh, um, instruction set it, it really only ever uses 64 bits oh man of certain types of math <laughs> so jeez yeah. anyway. what a mess yeah but at the same time um even though sega with the dreamcast had done a really good job of eating into the market um i think sony still had something like 60 percent of the market with ps1 you know, when the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's pretty wild too. Um, I do have a couple other things I want to talk about with the timeline because there are four major gen six consoles. We tend to think of, right? Mm -hmm. There's dreamcast PS2 GameCube and Xbox. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know that GameCube released six months after dreamcast discontinued? I did know that. And Xbox released after that. Right. <laughs> I think I, I'm going to get your bingo cards out. 
that I think actually released right after the Dreamcast, right? Or was it just before? The sixty four. The sixty four was was uh, a couple of years before. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, it, I think it was still ahead of it. I want to say it was ninety five, ninety six, maybe. I think it was ninety six, but I I know that um, it was only a couple. Of, I mean, when I say a couple of years, it still is kind of considered like because we were skip. As you said, there were a lot of skip launches, right? Like there was a lot of staggered launches, and so when yeah. we talk, it may be considered a fifth generation. But I mean, that was the yeah. competition. N64 was mid to late 96. Okay. But still, I mean, N64 was a comp was a competitor at the time still as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and the N64 library, as long as you're in for janky 3d is a great library. (laughs) This is true. I mean, the games I love on the N64 are a bit janky. Uh I love them just the same, but they're janky. I'm with you. Um, Yeah. Like the only one that's not really janky on the whole console is probably Mario Kart 64. And even then there is a tiny bit. Yeah. Or, or the puzzle <laughs> games, like the Tetris game is still one of my favorites as, as is puzzle. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Mario 64. Mm. I love that one. So, so the, yes. I would say, you know, the N64 was really the first console to make use of the four controller ports mm-hmm. built in. Mm-hmm. The Dreamcast sort of, you know, furthered that to make it standard. And then GameCube, Xbox, most things since, if they have controller ports, had four. Right. You know, until we all until we went wireless and then it didn't matter, right? Yeah. But even then, and, they still tend to have a limit of four for the most part. Yeah, and, and I mean I I don't know many developers that make, you know, games for more than four, especially couch co op, right? Yeah. Um but that that said, um, you bring that up because the PS2 came out. Still uh, only had two. Still only had two, and required the multi tap. Yeah. So, um, in all in all honesty, the Dreamcast should have won. It really should. It. It. I mean it. It had the bad press of what Sega had been doing for the years prior against it, which was a bummer because the Dreamcast, by all rights, was a great system. Was it underpowered compared to the other Gen 6 consoles? Absolutely. The Wii was underpowered compared to its generation. The Switch is underpowered compared to its generation. Hardware power does not equate to success in the generation for the most part. The problem is, I think at the time, gamers were a little less willing to like, oh, they, they, they were very much like, I want the biggest and best, you know? Um, I even knew people who had Neo Geo because it was such a beast. And right. j- just for that reason, like, oh, it's 24-bit. It's more powerful than the others. That's the one I wanted, right? And I'm like, yeah. but what do you play? It's all fighting games, right? Like, yeah. We're back Not that the there's works. anything wrong with that, to quote Seinfeld by accident, but like, <laughs> there's there's only so many fighting games I can play right. before I want to play something else. Right. And honestly, it, the Dreamcast has a huge fighting game library, and as far as my game library goes, I probably had more fighting games for Dreamcast than any other platform, which is bizarre because the controller is terrible for fighting games. But the games were still great, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I suppose we could talk a little bit about the library for now before we come back to some of the hardware sure. stuff. Um, yeah. 
So when I think Dreamcast, for me, the first game I always think of is Crazy Taxi. Okay. It was a big part of their advertising campaign, the initial advertising push. It, you know, it was rolled out in arcades and on Dreamcast and, you know, notoriously, it was essentially the exact same game, same hardware, same graphics, all that. You were getting arcade quality graphics on your TV, which is spectacular. Right. I think that's an important call out is one of the big benefits to the Dreamcast was its parody with arcade, Virtua Fighter, you know, Crazy Taxi, all of the, you know, the, the, um, Capcom versus, you know, SNK or, you know, I mean, take your pick on, on, on the arcade titles. And really it was parody. Like either I can go dump quarters or I can go buy a game and buy a Dreamcast and I've got that environment at home. Right. And while it was more commonplace in Japan than anywhere else, there were still markets where you could take your game from, you know, usually with fighting games, um, you could take characters that you had built and data you had created through your home console, drag this little VMU memory card to the arcade and plug it in and have your home stats at the arcade, which is super cool. Like, that's not really something you've seen before or since, I would say. Sega, like, Sega was always trying to reinvent the wheel, and Nintendo gets a lot of shit for that, but they still manage it and keep a successful business. But Sega gets shit for it and gets looked down on for it, which I don't understand. They're always just a little ahead of the curve, maybe Mm. just a little too far ahead of the curve to where nobody's ready to embrace the tech just yet. You know what I mean? You know, like it's not even early adopter ready. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The VMU was a, was a great, I mean, let's talk about the VMU since you just pulled it out. The visual memory unit. Um, This little guy. Yeah. It has a controller on it. Yeah. And, and I mean, during gameplay, it'll show either a logo or maybe something to do with the game itself. And some games would dump a little game ROM onto it that you could play. Yeah. There was what the, the chows from Sonic adventure. You, it was a virtual pet. Mm -hmm. There was the little treasure hunting adventure game from skies of Arcadia. Mm -hmm. Like it, it had some cool stuff. I, I think there was something with Seaman too, but I don't remember what it was offhand. Yeah. Wasn't there a mini game with, with Bomberman online? No, cause that was online. Anyway. Um, the other thing that you could do with it, and this was, this was way, this is something you, we still don't have. Well, we don't need it anymore, but this is something we still don't have is connecting two together and transferring your day, transferring your save games. Oh yeah. Like that was super cool to me is, you know, you'd have little stuff yeah. where you just take two of them uh-huh. and, Take those ports, yeah, and plunk them together, and there you go. And you can transfer data. They can interact, yep. whatever, whatever that particular file does. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Which the, the I always the, thought it was cool. Yeah, I loved the VMU. I thought it was great. The problem is, is it also did make the you know the memory modules expensive, right? Yes, it did. But it's funny because the VMU was such a good idea sony copied it for the ps1 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we never saw it in north america it was a japan only release but i think right. final fantasy 8 made use of it as well mm-hmm. as some other games 
And I'm glad Jared's but, not here. I know, right? But at the same time, what there's not a whole lot to be done with a visual memory unit, right? That isn't in the controller, right? Absolutely. But it's it also, it's sitting there across the room, plugged into the PlayStation above the controller port. Right. <laughs> You're not right. making active use of it during gameplay. But I mean, right. it's still the the virtual pet, take it on the go aspect of it yeah. was there. Well, and and kind of another another kind of semi copy, not exactly the the same copy, but on the GameCube, the the link mm-hmm. to the link cable to the you know the Game Boy GBA. Advance, right? Yeah, like that feels very much a similar kind of because I remember playing one of the Zelda games and having GBA Four Swords Adventure, and you get the map or you get whatever on the on the GBA, oh, right? I, yeah, but, um, I think Wind, Wind Waker, Waker did that, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was another Zelda game for the GameCube that required GBAs for everybody to play. Yeah, because it was up to four players, Zelda. So y'all had to have your own screen if you left the main screen and went into a cave or something, and y'all played with like a Game Boy yeah. Advance controller, right? As your right. controller for a GameCube game, right? Like that's silly. Which, which also, but feels it was like fun. It feels like they they once again copied that for the Wii U, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. not quite the same because you just have one gamepad instead of a bunch. But yeah, it's the same kind of idea. But it's funny because I was looking at these earlier and mm-hmm. thought about the comparison between uh-huh. the Game Boy and the VMU, and they're very similar in style, which oh, is just I, funny to me. I gotta wonder what the resolution difference is because the. The Game Boy, the original Game Boy, notoriously had a low resolution screen, right? Like, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I anyway. used to know it offhand because I used to draw little cartoons that I'd mm. load into the VMU and share with people. Oh, the v- VMU is very little. Is it okay? So yeah, low, it's uh, yeah, it looks like. Oh my goodness. If this is to be believed, it's 96 by 64. I can believe that. Of course, you know, I, I, I have my smart, my smartwatch today. That's the same screen size. That's like, you know, substantially higher density. It's smaller than that. It's 48 by 32. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's very little resolution, but for the games you were playing on it, you didn't need a whole lot because they were, I mean, they were simple. Like, it was basically a step up from Tiger handhelds, right? As far as right. the quality of the game. Yep. <laughs> but how cool was it also, even if it didn't have the screen and the controller, how cool is it also to have your memory module in your controller, right? Like now that I think, did, I mean, that that kind of started with the, the 64, right? Because the 64. Yeah. yeah. The N64 had the memory card in the controller. Um, the rumble pack as well that you could get. And it had, yeah, it only had one slot, right? So you either yes. had the memory card or the rumble pack, not both. So you'd be hot swapping for like some games where you'd like, I want right. the rumble while I'm playing, but I need to be able to save later if the game didn't have a save on the, on the cartridge. Right. Right. Which is so, funny because I have a, I think it's a mad cats. I have a rumble pack that has the memory module in it and Nintendo never built that, but the third parties did. so yeah yeah. i do remember that actually but i think i knew somebody who had one like that 
and the rumble eventually caused the memory card to stop working. <laughs> I can believe it. <laughs> but yeah. you got the two slots here. So I'm going to bring this yes. up for people to see if they're unfamiliar. You got two slots. So you could double stack the VMU mm-hmm. or non-screen memory cards from third parties. You got the rumble pack. You slide in or, mm-hmm. you know, other games made use of other things like C-Man used the microphone. And I know like the microphone cover yeah. on this thing is disgusting at this point. <laughs> Pay no attention to that. But you got the microphone so you could talk to the games that had right. talking, like had voice control. And then if you were like me and at the time still using shit like Game Genie and Game Shark, mm-hmm. ah. plug the Game Shark into the second slot. There you go. Okay, let's talk. You brought up C Man. Let's talk let's talk C Man because that is an odd game for sure. I never oh, had it. It's it's games like C Man that make me love Dreamcast as much as I do. Yeah, let's talk it's about all that. the weird shit games, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so <laughs> the Dreamcast game library, even in North America, is a very Japanese library. And I mean that in the best way possible. Like, it's sure. all quirky and bizarre and fun types of games that are just oozing charisma and style and what the fuckery, right? Yes. <laughs> So I, I remember, so I, I have a big list of games here and I'm sure a lot of you listening have at least played one or some of these. Um, but I mentioned crazy taxi already, so we can skip past the crazy taxi games. We're on Seaman now. So Seaman was this bizarre game where you, it was like a virtual pet on just steroids and crack at the same time. Right. <laughs> Yes. You raise this little fish that you're talking to and it starts talking to you. And it goes through various stages of metamorphosis where like it's a bunch of them and then one of them eats the rest of them and becomes like it grows more and it starts having conversations with you. And like it sounds like a toddler at the beginning when it first starts talking. And by the end, it's having full blown conversation. Well, sort of full blown as much as a full blown conversation could be from a game from 1999 2000 but it would actually remember things you told it right it was it was like a furby but creepier (laughs) and narrated narrated by leonard nimoy yes so he'd give you updates to your terrarium every time you turned it on the next day he'd be like all right this is he'd give you a little more backstory about the sea man and what you've understood from it thus far because weirdly enough there was a ton of lore behind c-man it was intended to be four games Mm -hmm. and oh man hearing the story of what those games were supposed to be is just wild to me because it was supposed to be c-man and then his wife right Mm. because he's a Let's get into the weeds here a little bit, and I'm going to spoil Seaman for those of you who've not played it. I'm sorry. If you haven't played it by now, you probably aren't going to. It's been 22 years. So he's this man from ancient Egypt, basically. And his lover were both turned into animals, cursed by a wizard to live out their lives as a creature of the sky and a creature of the sea until they can meet up and fall in love again to break the curse. So it's and a I know little this bit is... of uh, it's what, what was that movie that um, 
Matthew Broderick, um, Lady Hawk. It's a little Lady Hawkish. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess so. So you, the only one we got was Seaman One. There were supposed to be two or three Seamans, and then also one for the 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 woman. Mm-hmm. So you evolve Seaman through various courses until he's something larger. At the end of the first game, it ends with him being a frog or toad, mm-hmm. right? And he he does tell you some of this stuff throughout that game. Some of it I read about later after the games ended up never happening. So right. the plot was just kind of put out there by the developers. Like, this is what we wanted to do. We're sorry we couldn't. And that was supposed to be a pretty wild connection of games where you move from one game to the next to the next. And then you go to the other side of it and move through those until you can make them join together as one again and get the final ending. Mm probably kind of convoluted and long and drawn out but a really cool idea had now, the did, dreamcast succeeded we might have seen more of them now did i miss that did i miss you saying that it it, it it eventually is a fish with a human face on it <laughs> yeah so the fish thing happens like that's about midway through early mm-hmm. on to midway through until it finally evolves into a frog yeah but yeah, it's this creature the whole time has a human face and it's creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He it's it's off-putting to say the least. <laughs> but it's funny how it has these conversations with you and sometimes sometimes it gives you a, a nice good ribbing, right? Uh-huh. And like I the one I always remember was he he asked me at one point, "Do you like yourself?" <laughs> Which is a pretty, you know, that's a pretty contemplative question to ask somebody in general sure. and i was like yeah i like myself and he's like i'm sure you do i bet you like yourself at least three times a day and i was like oh dude <laughs> uh, they know their audience they know the age group yeah. of their audience <laughs> <laughs> i was very i had friends over they saw <laughs> that happen <laughs> see man that's, you're embarrassing me that's fantastic <laughs> Well, you know, in their head, they're all going, yeah, yeah, I do the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we all, we all died in a fit of laughing that day. It was great. That's awesome. Yep. But then you get uh, another major release for the Dreamcast was Shenmue, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was supposed to be this huge thing. And the gameplay was the, to me, it always struck me as a sort of open world RPG Virtua Fighter. Uh, yeah yeah and i don't know if that's what the original intent was but that's how it came across to me because the fighting felt very virtue fighter to me except you're running around an open world game exploring getting to know the neighbors Mm -hmm. getting to know the people in your town spending hours at the arcade playing you know what just super hang on and pole position whatever they've got there afterburner space harrier i think and then you know you you have to go to work, and mm-hmm. do jobs to make money to pay the rent at the end of the month and stuff like that. This is a very strange game, right? Art, art imitates life. Yeah. And I mean, we see games do that all the time now, but at the time that was not commonplace. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, while we're nice. talking notable games, um, I mean, of course, Sonic Adventure, right? Um, yeah. Uh, we talked about, or I mentioned, you know, the Capcom versus SNKs. I think there was also, uh, 
I mean, there were there were fighting games galore on the system. Yeah, there um, was Marvel Capcom. Mm-hmm. There was King of Fighters '98, King of Fighters '99, mm-hmm. Garou, Mark of the Wolf. Um, oh my goodness, there's so many. Yeah, um, I mentioned Bust a Move earlier, which I I love the the Bust a Move games. Um, I kind of wish we'd see a resurgence of them. Um, you know, the little, the little shoot the bubble, the right. Color yeah. Bubble, puzzle bubble. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Puzzle bubble. Yeah. I, I think they games. ended up not being able to call it bust a move anymore after a point and okay. ended up having to release them as puzzle bubble later. Mm, gotcha. Um, and then when I mentioned, I talked to you about this before we started discussing the, or before we started the podcast, but, um, res rez, um, still to this day, like I had forgotten about it until I looked at, at a list and I was like, oh my gosh, that game. That game was was memorable. It's a it's a rail shooter, so you know, very much like Panzer Dragoon, or I don't know how many other rail shooters do we have these days. In fact, honestly, to me, it like I I would kind of view the modern take on res as Beat Saber, like almost mm. like you know, uh in VR. But but this was you know, it, it looked very cyberpunky. In fact, I think it had kind of a cyberpunk story behind it, but the story was only really told through the gameplay, which was really cool. The boss battles were incredible. It had, it was a musical rail shooter. So you made music by destroying things. Of course, there's an <laughs> underlying beat going and, you know, uh, which, which there were a series of games that came out. Oh, I don't know, 10 or whatever years ago, they were retro likes. I can't remember, but they all were musically based. If I remember, it was like one where um, you were running dude. Oh um, yeah. Uh, bit trip. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, it's like a 3d version of bit trip almost, you know? So, um, yeah, res was great. Um, and, and of course you can't, you can't not mention, gauntlet legends i mean i think that might have been my first interaction with gauntlet legends was on the dreamcast now that was on n64 as well if i'm not mistaken but i did not have it on n64 so so. i did not play it on dreamcast i played it on n64 okay which might have turned me away from the game for a very long time did did it have the (laughs) did it have the voice the voiceovers in it you know red yeah wizard needs food badly Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it had all that Uh uh-huh yeah. So yeah, the system, I mean, the system for, for its time period had, it had a, a hell of a library. It really did. It really did. Yeah. It had skies of Arcadia, which is widely regarded as one of the best RPG JRPGs, which some people like that distinction. Some people don't, but it makes it easier to understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the widely regarded as one of the best RPGs of all time. Uh, you ended up getting, Code Veronica, Resident Evil mm. Code Veronica. We've not even seen re-released outside of the Dreamcast, mm-hmm. which is a bummer because that game was, I'm pretty sure, like one of the best received Resident Evils to date. Yeah. And we've not seen it again, right? We've seen right. mention of it in other games. Resident Evil 5 mentions Veronica at points, mm-hmm. but we don't a lot of people never got to play it. Cause a lot of people didn't own the dreamcast. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. And then there was also, uh, there was also a, um, an, an alone in the dark game. And I think it was, it was, it was kind of a modern take, um, on the, 
Like it kind of was like a reboot of the yeah. What's what's the what's Alone the in the title? Dark: The New Nightmare? Yeah, and I've heard really, this is good. I've never played it. I picked I, it up for ten bucks on clearance. I played. played I it. played. I played a bunch of it. Um, I never finished it, but I did play a bunch of it when I had my when I had my. I still have my Dreamcast. It's just out in my garage. So, um, and then uh, there was a game that I absolutely adored. It was funny because you. You know, you, you hear like there's a term that's thrown around really since since the days of of uh, of cell phones now. Right. The casual game. Right. Yeah. And, and so um, there was a billiards game on that on the Dreamcast that I played for hours because it was just one of those casual like I can spin it up when I need to. It didn't have any sort of need to remember a story, you know, but it was called maximum billiards and it was awesome. So hmm. that was, that was I've one of my favorites. Not played that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have some other games listed. I've got like choo choo rocket, mm-hmm. which was a really wild sort of, I, I, I is kind of somewhere between a puzzle game and an arcade game. It's like, Oh gosh, how do you even describe it? It's such a bizarre puzzle game if you haven't played it. It's like tactical Pac-Man, I guess, is a good way to describe it. And there were modes of it that were up to four player where the idea was to get all the mice to your rocket ship and Mm. send all the cats to everybody else's rocket ships. And so this was all like you'd set down arrows and direct things and, you know, your arrow would expire after a time or after you placed so many Right. And then for the puzzle version for single player, it was actually challenges to solve. How do you get the mice safely to the rocket ship without mm-hmm. sending the cat to the rocket or sending the cat to eat any of the, uh, any of the mice. So mm-hmm. you had to go around these puzzles and not only that, but you could make your own and share them online. And my buddy and I did that too. So we'd share puzzles with each other. Like, Hey, oh, nice. you gotta try out this one. Oh no, no you gotta try out this one. We came up with some really cool puzzles. And it, that awesome. was just, that was a lot of fun for me. And then you get the weirder stuff like Space Channel 5. Which Never is, played that one. It's just this really, really wild space adventure. You're playing as a journalist uh, covering an alien invasion at a spaceport. Musically, she's singing the whole thing, dancing along. Uh, <laughs> You get Michael Jackson involved, but he's never directly mentioned as Michael Jackson. He's called Space Michael. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And the and and like it's all very retro futuristic looking. Like, you know, it, it looks like the Jetsons kind of style, but in 3D. Right. Mm. So it's 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 a really wild look. And then you get uh, there's another one that I remember it was huge when it came out, Samba de Amigo. This was one that people were like, oh my gosh, Samba de Amigo, because it was a rhythm game, but you actually used maracas and had to move with the beat to different positions. I mean, it's just dance, right? Right. <laughs> but right. it's just dance well before just dance happened. Yeah. Yeah, the library was it was it was a great library. But while we're talking about the library, we can we can kind of start talking a little bit about the downfall. And, and one of the problems with the system that I think was a massive contributor was 
Um, they thought that they were going to be just fine using GD-ROMs, which were the dual-layer uh, CD-ROMs, but mm-hmm. most games didn't didn't end up actually using the full gigabyte of space. And so once people basically figured out how to rip this, the system read CD-ROMs just fine. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was a huge piracy market, and it made it hard to sell the games. It read CD-ROM so well that I don't know if you remember this emulator called Bleeb. Mm-hmm. It was yes. basically one of the first commercial emulators, right? Right. And that's because it could emulate PlayStation, so this was a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. And they actually released some... They, they had bigger, grander intentions for the Dreamcast, but they were going to come out with Bleemcast Bleempecks. They were really good on this bleem name, right? And they were initially supposed to support, you know, up to around about 100 titles, give or take. Mm -hmm. Because it just took so much space on the disc to handle that. But they were unable to do that for numerous reasons. uh, One of which is they kept getting sued into oblivion by Sony at every turn. So they only released three and they were each for an individual game. Now they were only six bucks a pop, so if you didn't have like if these were, you know, hot ticket games. It was Gran Turismo two, Metal Gear Solid, and Tekken three. So if you didn't have a PlayStation, those eighteen dollars were a lot cheaper to buy those PlayStation games and play them at double the resolution on a Dreamcast than on a PlayStation. Right. So the Bleemcast actually ran PlayStation games. You know, it could emulate PlayStation games yep. well and make them look prettier. That's wild Mm -hmm. for sure (laughs) for sure yeah so there was the piracy aspect and then i think the other thing that kind of killed it is the playstation 2 came out and was a dvd player as well yeah that was the big nail in the coffin for a lot of things honestly (laughs) absolutely it's it's one of the reasons that it was a when did when did blu-ray hit playstation three or four uh three yeah like once again you know sony comes out and says hey why do you need to buy other media players when we've got you know a built-in blu-ray player you know if i'm not mistaken the ps2 was sort of the final nail on the coffin for divix as well right very likely divix was a weird format anyway so yeah but i do remember divix being kind of out in the world pretty regularly up until that point and then divix just sort of sort of petered away because everybody had a ps2 so everybody had a blue a dvd player so they didn't need divix they could just right. buy dvds right? right and then yeah it was it was a real bummer that playstation 2 just decimated mm-hmm. pardon me the dreamcast as much as it did mm-hmm. and yeah i I still feel like the PS2 did not handle a lot of things as well as the Dreamcast did. Multiplayer, not as easy. The, uh, you know, online, not as easy. I know you had your issues with it, but to be fair, for the most part, it was quite accessible and more, uh, I, I would venture to say it was pretty damn consistent with your online connection. Well, let's, um, let's kind of go back then because the, the 
the Dreamcast came with a modem. Mm-hmm. And in the American market, it was a 56K modem. And, yep, and 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 not not at launch, but at some point, you know, not too far out, they launched the Dreamcast online service that was a, a SegaNet. A SegaNet that was a dial-up internet service as long I, as games. I was actually a subscriber to SegaNet. I was going to ask email you that. that with was, SegaNet. That was the note I took earlier before we started. Was I was going to ask if you ever used the uh, the <laughs> online service? So I did. Okay, and I know it had web browsing. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, right off the bat, like very easy for the online service. And then I'm going to tell my little story because (laughs) this is, I've told this story before on the podcast, but I actually looked up the details. So, um, unbeknownst to me, after I got my Dreamcast, there were two, uh, network adapters that were released and I didn't understand the difference. There was the LAN adapter and there was the broadband adapter, which to me being a, a, an internet nerd, this is my bread and butter in my job all day long. LAN adapter and broadband adapter to me feel like uh, they do the same work, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now, okay. LAN adapter. Sure. Maybe local area network, but like what LAN adapter does not talk to the internet when you have an internet gateway. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, so uh, to tell my story, I've told this before, but to tell my story. So I bought, so I bought my Dreamcast after they'd announced that the Dreamcast was being discontinued. So I think I got the $50 Dreamcast and super, super high value for 50 bucks, even if it had been discontinued. Right. Um, but I, I basically looked at it and I wanted, I wanted the broadband adapter. Well, I wanted, I wanted to be able to use my home internet, which had, we had, we were a bunch of nerds. We had wired internet. Yeah. And so I go onto eBay because they weren't selling these anymore because of the discontinued. I go onto eBay and I buy a LAN adapter. I get said LAN adapter. I plug it in. I connect it up. I get link. I get an IP address. Everything looks great. I go grab my Quake 3 Arena disc and plug it in and spin it, spin it up and, um, no online play. Ah, so I finally start researching this and I find out I bought the wrong one. (laughs) I bought the LAN adapter and not the broadband adapter. So literally they were HIT 300 and HIT 400. I bought the 300. I needed the 400. Uh, which, by the way, there were nine U.S. titles that su- that were supported, um, including Fantasy Star Online, Quake Three Arena, and Unreal Tournament. But um, <laughs> so I became so aggravated with this thing. <laughs> One evening, I was so mad at it. I was trying to like hack it and do this, that, and the other. And finally, I pulled this thing off of the Dreamcast. I don't even think I plugged the modem back in, so it just had that chunk missing on the bottom. <laughs> I had a sliding door. It was winter. I opened the sliding door. I winged it out into the yard. I know I've told you this story before, but for those that haven't heard it, I wing it out into the yard and, you know, I'm frustrated and I walk away and, you know, probably said some, some words. So (laughs) come the summer, things have melted and it's time to mow the lawn. And 
I'm out there mowing the lawn and I've forgotten that I've thrown this adapter out into the yard. <laughs> and I hear, and I hear this, like this, something go flying. So I <laughs> chase this thing down. And I mean, the thing was still mostly intact because it, like all of it was like internal, like, you know, metal shielding and everything. And yeah, yeah I, I'd driven over this adapter with my lawnmower and honestly, it felt really good. Felt really good driving <laughs> over it with my lawnmower. So anyway, I never had the 400 broadband adapter. I don't know if you do. I did. I sold it a couple years ago for like okay. 150 bucks or something because I was like, yeah. oh, I don't use it anymore. Yeah. Somebody else wants to pay that? Sure, they can pay it. Yeah. <laughs> now I did look. There's a there's a, a wiki that kind of goes over you know the the online games that um, that you can use and. Um, there are some services that have taken up hosting so that you can continue to play some of these games. It, it looks pretty awesome. Honestly, there's like, you can play fantasy star online even to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really, it's, cool. it's pretty awesome. I, I think that's really cool. Uh, fantasy star online is one of those games that as soon as it came, like I want to say that came out around the same time as Diablo two. Hmm. For a lot of people, it was Diablo 2. For me, it was Fantasy Star Online. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Many, many nights where I stayed up well past the night playing Fantasy Star Online in my high school years. I bet. I bet. I never played Fantasy Star Online. I, 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 I probably should have, but I never did. So... It was kind of EverQuesty, wasn't it? Um, I've never played EverQuest. I don't know. Okay, maybe but a little World of Warcrafty. Not so much. Um, it was really about the gear grind, and you know, you it it had a sort of randomly generated floor based on parts that could interconnect, and so the floors would be differently shaped or. Mm. You know, it might be the same shape floor, but the doors would be blocked in different ways so that the mm. labyrinth had changed somehow, stuff like that. Okay. And depending on the mission or whether you were just playing openly uh, would determine what kind of floor plans you would get and then what kind of monsters would spawn in the area for that particular mission or if you were just playing the main story. Okay. So it it was all about finding loot, powering up your weapons, getting new weapons, finding new loot to power those up and so forth. So it was, it was more like a, I, I thought of it was closer to Diablo because of the loot grind. Okay. But not isometric, right? Or what not was? isometric. It was, it was sort of not necessarily over the shoulder, but behind the avatar. Okay. And you could zoom in and out a bit. I think if I remember correctly, but yeah, you had different styles of play. There was a caster, there was rangers, and then there was hunters. So either you used melee weapons, you used magic, or you used ranged weapons. Okay. Yeah, it sounds it sounds a little bit at least the like the behind the shoulder and having the different class types. It does sound a little everquesty to me there. So mm. yeah. Um, well, nice. Yeah. So, uh, but that was my story with the broadband adapter. Well, I'm sorry, the LAN adapter. <laughs> <laughs> the what was supposed to be a broadband adapter right right so and then yeah, yeah like i it's the keyboard and mouse mm. we, since we were just talking about the internet 
you got the sorry take that microphone mm-hmm. you got the keyboard branded with sega net oh wrong side here we go yeah. and then yeah. you got the dreamcast mouse right yeah and they were intended for playing like for using the web browser mm-hmm. but there were games that made use of them as well you could play unreal or quake with the keyboard and mouse which was super cool (laughs) so like it and being the per like because i always wanted to like sort of host people a little bit Mm -hmm. i would and you know at the time i was not a pc gamer i didn't have Mm -hmm. a pc so well i did but i didn't play a whole lot of games on it yet um so when my friends would come over we didn't have enough controllers i would play with the keyboard and mouse for unreal and quake and you might call it cheating but I wiped the walls on with them if I played with just the keyboard. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I remember one time I was playing with my buddies and I just, we were sitting on a couch, right? Mm-hmm. So I couldn't use the mouse. So I'm literally, I've got this just hanging against my knees and I was playing like that, right? And I was just kicking ass with it hanging on my knees. And they're like, how the hell are you so good, so good at this? playing quake three it was great that's awesome but then another game that i still haven't had the heart to get rid of mm-hmm. is typing of the dead mm-hmm. i love that game it's so stupid it's so cheesy and for as far as the storytelling goes because it's it's just house of the dead but everybody's running around with a keyboard strapped to their chest <laughs> and a dreamcast on their back right <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly and you just type in words. It's basically uh-huh. a typing tutor that's right. not doing a great job of teaching you so much as stressing you the fuck out. Right. But that's what it is. Like that's honestly, that's how I first learned to type. I didn't have any typing classes in school yet. I mm. played that and I got good at typing because of that. And then because I had a PC, you know, I would talk on AOL with my friends and stuff, but this is what got me quick at typing. It was not AOL. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I had I had Mavis Beacon teach us typing and then typing in school in junior high. I never got to play uh uh you know typing of the dead, but I know of it for sure. So I love that game. I, yeah. I still have it on my shelf back there. That's one of those games I've just not been willing to part with yet. That's awesome. And then oh, another great RPG on the Dreamcast which has been re-released, but I think it's never been done quite as well as the original. Mm-hmm. Grandia 2. Mm. It's gotten re-releases. It got a re-release on PS2, and I guess it was glitchy. It didn't run as well, mm. which is weird, seeing as it had five times the space <laughs> and a more powerful hardware. 120 am- my friend. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, it still was very, way more powerful than the Dreamcast, but it didn't run it as well. It was glitchy right. and broken. But yeah, that was one of those RPGs that I still think fondly on and loved it. And then Evolution was kind of a weird RPG, but that was, I mean, it didn't well enough to get a sequel in that short time that the Dreamcast existed. And then one of my all-time favorites, Jet Set Radio. Jet Ride Radio. And so many of these games have rocking soundtracks. Mm-hmm. But then you get to Jet Set Radio, and oh my goodness, that soundtrack was banging the whole time, right? 
Mm-hmm. And it was like, it, it was like Japanese techno and European techno. It was uh-huh. just all this weird music I had never heard before. And then Rob Zombie's Dragula, <laughs> which is so out of place. Yep. Yep. But I mean, it was, it was such a good game. I actually initially played the Japanese release. Mm. My uncle burned a copy of the Japanese one and gave it to me. And so I played that well before Jet Set Radio came out or Jet Grind Radio came out. Yeah. So that's why I always call it Jet Set Radio, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the initial version of Final Fantasy VII. It said Eris everywhere. It wasn't Aerith yet. Right. So to me, she's always Eris. I don't give a shit. Right. So that game is Jet Set Radio. And even Sega agrees with me because later they made Jet Set Radio Future. So I was going to say they did bring the <laughs> Jet Set Radio name to, to the U.S. eventually. Yeah, but it's yeah. Uh, that was such a cool game. It was so different from anything I'd played before that. It was another game that just oozed style. It was cell shaded. It was fast. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Mm-hmm. It was funky. Oh, man. If you've Absolutely. not played Jet Set Radio, please play Jet Set Radio. Get it on sale on Steam or something. It's amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I want to touch on, um, for those that, you know, may not have been able to play the the library or have the library and don't have um, the hardware anymore to play it. Um, uh, I was using um, uh, a, an emulator earlier this week to kind of refresh a little bit. Uh, the one I was using was called Flycast, and it did it just kind of like the you know the discussion we had um, uh, last week where we 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 talked about. Um, uh, some emulation and some like the Metroid prime emulation. Um, it does things like upscaling and some anti-aliasing and whatnot. And it's a really nice, really nice product in case you wanted to say, try jet set radio or jet grind radio or try res or try typing of the dead or, you know, uh, or code hey, Veronica, Code Veronica. I was going to say code Veronica since we don't have a, a re-release of that. So, um, but yeah, I tried Flycast. I know that there's another one out there that I haven't tried. And then I think that there's an implementation in RetroArch for some one of them. I don't know what emulator it is that I have, but I have it on my RetroPie. And it okay. plays the games really well. Yeah. I've not noticed any issues yet with any of the things I've played on it. But uh, I've not played a ton. Like I used it for crazy taxi because it's easier than hooking up the dreamcast upstairs and dragging it back downstairs and whatever the little box in an hdmi cord goes a long way yes (laughs) well and the nice thing about the dreamcast is your button layout is the same as uh you know say an xbox 360 controller right it is isn't it yes even more so that the xbox is just the same lineage as the dreamcast right it really is yeah in fact, I think even the the D pad and the and the analog stick are in the same positions, you know, top to bottom. If I remember right, yeah, Isn't they the are. D-pad? Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Oh, while we're while we're talking controllers, my one complaint, my one complaint about the Dreamcast is the cable position on that controller. Yeah. We did not mention this. So I've actually got some interesting controller tidbits regarding the Dreamcast that I'd like to talk about. But yeah, the first one is the weirdness that is the controller coming out of the bottom instead of the top. But then they made this to make it 
wing up and pretend it comes out of the top, right? And I think the biggest hurdle here is just the fact that the VMU ports are right there. So it makes it kind of hard to do anything. And controller assembly, while you could run it through the back of the controller, it would make the controller harder to assemble, right? Right, but I'm I'm thinking offset it and just have it come out at one side or the other, you know, uh, beside the. the That's VMU true, board, right? I mean, because yeah, I guess yeah. they could have had it come out like either here or here, yeah. and it would have been fine. Right. You make a good yeah. point. Or 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 they have the little like position where you can pull it up and pin it in. Why not just have it come out of the bottom of the memory port where you? Anyway, yeah, yeah, so. but. Uh, they, they actually, here's a fun story. So Knights originally came out on the Saturn, right? Mm -hmm. And Yuji Naka, who was working on Sonic Adventure at the time for the upcoming Dreamcast, when they were still coming out with the original designs of the controller, the Dreamcast was actually supposed to get a sort of Wii remote mm -hmm. with really? a gyro in it. It was supposed to get a Knights game that was going to use what was basically a wired Wii remote. Hmm. Kind of wild. I did not know that yeah. until today, actually. But huh. again, Sega, always a little too far ahead of the curve, right? Right. right. <laughs> right. They even well, had a weird offset controller where the left side was bigger than the right. GameCube, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, you bring up a, I, by the way, I saw a review on the, on the GameCube or on the Dreamcast controller that I remember I need to go, I actually need to get my Dreamcast out of my garage, but I kind of remember this feeling when I was playing it, when I had it, that it squishes your hands linearly into, and that's one of the complaints is if you're gripping it, it, it's not, it like forces you into a non-ergonomic position. You know, yeah, modern, it's modern controllers, you know, pull you out, right? They very vertical positions here. Yeah. Where a modern controller, your hands naturally, you know, just kind of, yeah. So, um, but it, it very much is kind of the, it, it, it resembles the Saturn. What's the Saturn? What was the controller that was, uh, the Saturn the, 3d controller. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty much an updated version of this monstrosity. Yes. Yeah. And like that was I'm that was partly by design because it handled the analog pretty well, but it did the same damn thing where it's very vertical control like yeah. The Dreamcast is just a softer design of this thing, right? Right. With you know, two less buttons. Right. <laughs> speaking for whatever reason. Speaking of handling um the if, uh I read today that the um, the, the analog stick uses, what, what are they, what's it called? There's the, um, alternate, um, uh, analog sticks you can buy for this, uh, the steam deck that use a particular technology that's less prone to, um, uh, to drift. What's that term? Um, and, and the, uh, the dreamcast gotcha. actually used it. Hang on. Um, uh, what, hall, sensors. hall sensors it uses hall sensors interesting yeah, yeah i never realized it but i'm pretty sure my dreamcast controllers are still in full functioning order mm -hmm. 
And honestly, my controllers got swapped a lot. Like, and by swapped, I mean I would pull the case from one and swap mm. it to another so mm. that I had two-tone controllers because I would buy controllers that were different colors and then sort of, you know, Oreo them to where it was two two colors instead of just one, so it was more interesting looking. That's but great. that way also when I went to my friend's house, because I did have some friends with Dreamcast, if I brought controllers, we would not wonder which one was mine, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. that's my controller. There I go. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, from what I understand, the the analog sticks on the or the analog stick on the Dreamcast used hall sensors, which are like if you go buy the updated or the third party sticks for the the Steam Deck, they're hall sensors. They're much more accurate than than the potentiometers. So why is that not a thing that's more traditionally used in analog controllers? I think it's just more expensive. So. Hmm. Yeah, Hall Effect is what they call them, Hall Effect sensors. So, I wonder um, if it's too big for the Switch or if Nintendo's just penny pinching. Uh, you know, because <laughs> this the space inside the Joy-Con is very small, so yes. I wonder if it's maybe just too small for that. Because I don't know if you've opened up a Joy-Con, but the yeah. footprint of that analog stick is itty bitty. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can see it just looking at the like, looking at the post. It's like you know, yeah. Yeah, so um, it was, you're right, it was ahead of its time in a lot of ways. But at the same time, Sega also makes, like, in some ways they're ahead of their time, but they also make some really interesting choices that are kind of like, like the 32X, right? Like, it, it, was, it was almost a... Well, how do we make a 32-bit console with not make without making a 32-bit console, right? Like, how do we <laughs> how do we kind of cheat and get halfway there, you know? And so, yeah, um, I so I I honestly think that's part of the reason that people didn't adop- adopt the Dreamcast is because, mm-hmm. like, it was too many steps in the wrong direction for people to recognize a step in the right direction from mm-hmm. the company, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people only bought a Dreamcast once it was 50 bucks because it was discontinued, right? I I know. I think I bought two at that point on top of the one I already had because, and I don't know if this is a problem you ever ran into, I burned out the motor on my Dreamcast and I suspect it's because of all the pirated games I would play. Mm. I would play burned games. I would play the NES emulator on it, right? Mm. The and that's something we didn't talk too much on, but yeah, you could emulate other consoles on this thing. Right. We talked about the PlayStation, but NES, I think Super Nintendo was okay, depending on the game. Genesis, Master System, you mm-hmm. can play all these on the Dreamcast, which was really cool. And right. it would just be a self-booting disc. After a point, anyway. <laughs> and right. that was really rad. Yeah. Yeah, but I... I have a lot of fond memories of it. Um, and sadly I, I did buy mine too late. I really did as much as I loved it. I, I bought it after the, after they'd announced. Right. And maybe if I bought it before, maybe it would have survived. Right. There were a lot of, and even, that way. even then I think it was already pretty cheap most of the time. Yeah. Well, before it was discontinued, I think it was a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And I think it's launch price was maybe 170 150 it wasn't high it was cheap for a new console i do remember that well you remember the whole 9999 thing 
um, right? And they actually like would discount to ninety nine ninety nine because of the release date. Like some places would do that, so that to you know, as kind of a loss leader to get you in, right? Yeah. So yeah, and oh, so you you uh, the opening line that you used. Most people aren't going to get that. I got it. Maybe okay. So. Yeah, that was part of the major advertising push for the console, where at the end of the commercials or at the beginning, depending on the particular spot you saw, you would hear a whisper of, it's thinking. And the idea was that the technology was so far above what the previous consoles all were that it it was just like it was essentially AI compared to the other tech, right? It was... Right so much smarter than the other tech and to a degree that is true but i actually knew a lot of people who misinterpreted it and thought that the games were would learn based on your play style to adapt to that right and play back and you know thinking back on that like that's kind of dumb because that's up to each developer to incorporate something like that or not the console's not just gonna know what the hell's going on in the game yeah, but that's one of those teenage dumb things. It's like oh, I know nothing about consoles, but this must be what right. that means, you know? Right. <laughs> well, I also remember like because these were like the pre; these were like basically telling you like it's coming, it's thinking, you know, whatever. And I, I was thoroughly confused by them by those commercials. Honestly, like really, if you, yeah, if you go watch those commercials, it's. Uh, I mean, it was very nineties. <laughs> You know, it's, it was the, I don't know. It felt, it felt like a, a lesser version of the, you know, Sega does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, to, at least it wasn't as bizarre as the Saturn commercials where you just had like some shaved head woman sitting in the corner with like a ring around her head, muttering gibberish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 90s advertising, man. It was a different time. It was a different. But I mean, uh, some of the commercials were just as simple as you know, you it would cycle through a bunch of cast members from various games, and then Mm. zoom out of the, you know, the little LED gem on the front Mm. of the Dreamcast, and then show the Mm. whole Dreamcast, and then you'd get the whisper of its thinking. Mm. So it was. They weren't all out there like that, but. Maybe I'm mixing up the the Saturn ones with the Dreamcast ones. Perhaps. I, yeah. I just a I lot of the Dreamcast it. ones really leaned on the 3D animation uh, of like cinematic quality models from the games to mm-hmm. create the commercials and mm-hmm. but I mean, oh man, there's one commercial, the Japanese Choo Choo Rocket commercial. That song from that commercial is still stuck in my head. I can sing most of it. Um, and I know the English translation of it, which is even better. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so it's, it's, it goes like, choo-choo rocket, tonekriotate, choo-choo rocket, tonekowakua. And it's, it, like, it translates to, oh, man, I just forgot it. I just had it in my head. But basically it's like, Choo choo rocket, save all the mice. Choo choo rocket, avoid the cats. Choo choo rocket, the rocket is awesome. I am high. So, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, I'm high. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well. 
Um, I mean, you know, whoever made that game probably was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it got released on GBA, so it did well enough for Sega to mm. think it would succeed there. And I bought it again. It's not nearly as good as on Dreamcast, but still. Right. <laughs> well, you bring up a point as well that Sega basically once they once they decided that they were they were done with the hardware market um they they basically decided that they were just going to release software from then on mm-hmm. you know and so yeah and you mentioned the gba so they they ported stuff to there but yeah they've done all right since then like yeah. at, at points they've done well enough to where people thought they were going to get back into the hardware market mm. i don't foresee that happening anytime soon i i would I would expect Microsoft to buy Sega before that happened, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, Microsoft needs some help. <laughs> but uh, and I mean, Sega's got a hell of a library, but I don't know if they can't buy Activision Blizzard. I don't think they could buy Sega either. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I Sega All Stars Racing, um, fantastic game. That's modern and well, it's been out for what ten years now. But yeah, they've yeah. done some good stuff since, but. I love the Sega All-Star Racing game. That's great. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I appreciated that it had some lesser-known characters from the Sega IPs. Like, it actually had Billy Hatcher, mm-hmm. which I think was a Dreamcast game and was really well-rated as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it had, like, it brought Alex Kidd out of the woodwork to be a mm-hmm. racer, which was cool. So they they really dug deep into their Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing. Yeah. And I appreciated that. It was it was a hell of a lot better than Sonic Riders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Awesome. Any other notable items on the on the Dreamcast? Um, I did want to mention. So I was curious because I know the that the Dreamcast's lifespan was short, right? Mm-hmm. And of a list of consoles that had the shortest lifespans, it comes in third. And I use the term console loosely because it's really the only one that was a television console properly. Okay. Okay. Uh, the shortest lifespan was the Virtual Boy. Understandable. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Next was the Gizmondo. I have no idea what the hell that is. Was it, was it released in the it was, U.S.? It was a little handheld thing. Yeah, I believe so. Huh. I think it was sort of, it's it's something kind of like, I think it came out around the same time as like the Engage and the Wonderswan Pocket oh. or Neo Geo Pocket or whatever and, you know, all those things. So it was like yeah. in the midst of all sorts of Gamescom, right? Like all these mm. things that were flash in the pan, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after the Dreamcast, so Dreamcast was third, mm-hmm. you end up getting stuff like Engage, which I mentioned. I don't know if you remember sure. that, the Nokia. Yes, yes. Um, ColecoVision. Okay, I was wrong. There's one full-fledged television console on there, the ColecoVision, which did not have the competition the Dreamcast had. Right. And then the PSTV, which, based on the name, sounds like a television console, but it's just a PS Vita that's digital only. You couldn't put cartridge or the the discs into yeah. the PSTV. You just huh. could interface with the digital store and download them to the PS TV and play Vita games on your TV. This sounds like it was too soon for what it was. Basically. Yeah. yeah. But it was, it was essentially, they were trying to get what they could out of the PS Vita 
and hoping that people would want to play it on their TV as well. But ditching the fact, ditching the physical media, I think yeah. is what caused it to flop. Sure. It made it cheap, but it didn't right. make it accessible. Yeah, every once in a while I toy with the idea of hunting down a Vita just because, I don't know, it was it was such an entertaining handheld at the time, <laughs> you know? So, or or what was the other one? The What was the other handheld that they did? The PSP? Uh, yeah, the PSP. And the digital one. They, they tried a digital only of that too, the PSP Go, so it didn't mm. have the disc slot anymore. Mm. But the games were too big. You couldn't download but like five games at a time. <laughs> I don't know what well, they were that, thinking with that. Isn't that the problem today, though? <laughs> I, I mean, we're getting back to that with 150 gig games. It's a little stupid. Yeah. The games are just so inflated and they, they're like, well, we have all this room for activities, so why compress anything? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. my I've been playing a lot of, I mentioned last week, I've been playing a lot of Flight Sim, you know, Microsoft Flight Sim, and that's like 170 gigs. It's, what about it, flight sim 24 that's gonna come out soon like that's gonna be even bigger right i mean it's pretty it is <laughs> i can basically go most places in the world and it looks like where it is in the world so it's pretty you know but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> excellent all right yeah. well i think that's pretty much all i've got um a, a system that shouldn't have died that's really kind of my take is it's a system? Yeah, it was. It was a case of all the hallmarks of success were there, except for the track, except for the history, right? Right. Sega's history was their downfall, and the DVD market and the piracy. I really think that. Yeah, think that the piracy probably ate into it a lot. Honestly, yeah. I think there were a lot of Dreamcasts out there, and not nearly enough software sales to warrant the amount of hardware out there. <laughs> Well, and that really was during the era when, when um, you know, hardware man manufacturers, the console manufacturers were doing the loss leaders, right? You don't see it so much mm -hmm. anymore. Sony isn't really selling their product at a loss anymore, you know. Yeah, but, I think PS2s were under market. GameCubes yeah. were under market. I think the Xbox, Xbox was, sure. they were losing like a hundred bucks a console. Yes. Yeah, and so. I mean they 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 you know advertised pretty pretty openly that it was like if 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 everybody bought five games we'll 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 come out ahead right but um you know but yeah we don't we don't see that anymore right but the Dreamcast I really do feel like was subsidized by expected game sales so because it was cheap you mentioned it yeah it, it really was. And I mean, it was an awesome console. Like, it, it, I think some of them even had a little game built into them. The Dreamcast Swirl game was in some mm. of the consoles. Mm. But never, if you, if you didn't have it in, if you didn't have it in the console, you had it in the, um, the web browser mm. that pretty much came with it anyway, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It's a stupid little match three game, but right. it's something that came with it. Yeah. And it's like Sega pushed a lot out for that too. Cause they even had like Genesis collections on there. Right. I have one. It's like 12 in one. And I think I picked it up for 20, $30. So they right. were not, they were not gouging on their software either. It's just, right. I, it's weird. It was a weird time where burning discs was becoming so accessible for most people that it was still worth saving the money to buy the games. I mean, even I had a CD, I, even I had a, a disc burner, right? Like I had a, one of those gigantic ones is like 
this big and this thick and it was yep. a scuzzy port, right? Yeah, yep. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh it's a sad history, but um I would suggest to any of our listeners um at least try some of the exclusives, you know, in however you can. They're worth your time. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, there's there's a lot of Dreamcast games out there that you should not bother with. Don't touch Sonic Shuffle. Don't. Right. <laughs> there's a number of them that suck, but that's true for most consoles. But the gems on this are numerous. You got Power Stone. You got Dino Crisis. You got the remake of Resident Evil Two. Mm-hmm. Not not like the current one, but like it was remastered for the Dreamcast, and it was so right. pretty. Oh, so yeah. like, compared to the PS1 version, oh my goodness! So the Dreamcast was full of gems. Like yep. it was not a diamond in the rough. It was a, a diamond in the playpen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. how common they were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I said, res res is worth playing. You mentioned code Veronica. Um, yeah. Sonic adventure is a blast too. It really is. So yeah, those are the Sonic adventure games are kind of hit some hit or miss with people, but I mean, honestly, they're, they're good games. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Anything, look up the Dreamcast, and chances are, if you find anything with a good rating and it's a genre you like, you'll enjoy it. Check mm-hmm. them out, please. It's worth your time. The Dreamcast is something too many people missed out on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. You can, I, I think you can, uh, it's a good time to throw our spiel at the people. You can check, check out our Discord and uh, tell us if there's anything we forgot, because I'm sure there's tons I forgot, even though I made a ton of notes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, add what your favorite thing is from the Dreamcast. Come to the Discord. Talk to us. We like to. We like that conversation. Um, I don't think we're super active on other social medias. We're. I think we're kind of there, but with the way social medias are going right now, it's <laughs> it's a bumpy ride. We're, we're saving we're, our axles here. Yeah, we're not going to pull a Reddit. Come, come, talk to us <laughs> on our Discord. We're not going to pull a Reddit. <laughs> yeah, we've got a Reddit, but I don't think we use it much, even less now. Oof. Yeah, we do so, have a we do have a, a little bit of housekeeping. We do have our. Oh yeah. yeah. Do you have a title? I do. Do you? Okay, I don't yet. Give me a minute. Okay, well, <laughs> tell me the, yours. I'll give, the, I'll give the spiel first. So, uh, we are compiling as a press be to cancel host group. We are compiling the press be to cancel top one hundred retro games. Uh, we basically kind of have a end uh end date anything before 2005 is is fair game uh we are also uh not console exclusive i've been giving a lot of pc games or or uh, even arcade games but we are compiling our top 100 list so each episode the hosts will give a uh top 100 nominee once we have enough nominees we will go through a uh an internal voting process and uh, we will shake out our top 100. So while Wolf is looking, I will go ahead and give my top 100. It was one of my top uh, top fives. Um, Star Control 2. Um, it was uh, originally a, a PC game on floppy disk. But uh, thankfully it came to uh, 3DO and they added voiceovers. And then now you nowadays the uh, the creators Toys for Bob got the rights to open source it, and you can download it as what's called the Urquan Masters. It's an adventure game, real time ship to ship combat. 
uh, with a um, overarching adventure story where you travel the galaxy uh, or galaxy or you travel wherever, whatever the size of scale is. I think it's probably considered a galaxy, <laughs> but, um, and you basically interact with a whole bunch of alien races. Um, and it has some of the best humor I think I've seen to date in video games. Um, it has a concept that was very new at the time where, uh, at, at as you progress through the game, uh, the timeline would affect what races were available to talk to and what weren't. Some races would oh, wipe the others out if you didn't, if you didn't intervene. And so, um, but yeah, a uh, fantastic adventure game, Star Control 2, uh, or if you want to play it as a modern game, the Urquan Masters, U-R-Q-A-A-Q-U-A-N. All righty. Sounds interesting. I, yeah. I think you mentioned that before, and I was curious to try it out, and I just haven't bothered, sadly. So, so before the episode, I pulled it up, and I looked it up. And funny enough, in the in the Wikipedia article, there's actually a section literally called Greatest Games List, which I don't see in a lot of games. And um, uh, it has appeared on a lot of the Greatest Games lists. Um, so uh, kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah. All right. This one may or may not be contentious, but I, I think this is a fun one, and it just makes a cutoff. Okay. Katamari Damashi. I'm in. I'm in. And, well, it's... It's it's not one of the most cutting-edge games ever made, but it's one of the most charming games ever made, and it... I I really feel like it's what kicked off the whole desire for what we now call cozy games, right? Mm-hmm. And it really was that. It was fun. Even when it was like stressful, it wasn't stressful. Right. The music was amazing. The colors were just bright and vivid and the story was silly and off the wall. Uh-huh. And you know, like the king of all cosmos destroyed all the stars in the sky. So, of course, as his son, it's your responsibility to fix the problem. Yep. <laughs> he can't so be bothered. By rolling over everything. <laughs> yeah, you're making stars by just making, rolling everything up mm-hmm. that it's in the vicinity and just making as big a ball as you can, right? Yeah. And boom, that's a star in the sky. You're, you're sucking up like insects and eggs and dominoes and thumbtacks and cars and people and <laughs> and it becomes Just, more unwieldy as it goes it's great yeah like you can make it lopsided to where it's just got one big old pole sticking out of it and it just you know and it's so much fun and by the end of the game you're just rolling up islands and rainbows and clouds and volcanoes and yeah and, yeah. and kaijus it's such a fun game and it's the soundtrack for that game is still one of my favorite soundtracks ever Absolutely. even i hum it so often my kid hums it from time to time and he's never seen the game in action that's awesome just the na 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 yep that's awesome that's awesome no, I so, love that game. I, I haven't played that. Let's see. That's PS2, right? Yeah. Yeah. It just makes the cutoff in late 2004. Yeah. Yeah. 
That was a great and game. I'm I support your I support your nominee. So. It's seen a number of sequels, and you know they're all great. The first one is still probably my favorite, and it's been remastered. It got re-roll, and I think the second one just got re-roll. Right? We are mm-hmm. Katamari, so mm-hmm. it's very accessible to find these games. They're not hidden away like some of them are. Like Beautiful Katamari, I think is only Xbox 360 or something like that. Okay. But okay. most of them, and I think one of them was just PSP. But for mm-hmm. the most part, you can find them. They're not that hard. And if you can play one, you've basically played them all. They're just slightly different challenges, slightly different stories, but they're still fun. They're all worth playing. And as you mentioned, very casual. So, yeah. That's awesome. I love that nominee. (laughs) All righty. I think that about wraps it up, right? I think so. All right. Hey, we're going to lose some crazy money. Thank <laughs> you.